0: You're listening to Sports Content Strategy with Mr Richard Clark.
1: Right now, we're sitting on potentially no travel for the next 12 to 18 months and no cricket fans in the stadiums. If we weren't a limited company, if we weren't, didn't have a travel company, if we didn't have a membership backbone, there wouldn't be no Barmy Army. We've actually got a village in Sri Lanka that's called the Barmy Army Village because we raised enough money on that tour to rebuild a village that was taken out by the tsunami. We do try our best to make sure that there isn't swearing in <laughs> any songs, but sometimes the powerful force that is the fans uh, takes it beyond our realms of control.
0: Hi there, welcome to Sports Content Strategy. My name is Richard Clark, and my guest this time is Chris Mellard. He's the MD of the Barmy Army. Now we all know the Barmy Army, they are a set of very passionate England cricket fans follow the team all over the world. And they go in numbers, sing songs in the stands, have a few beers, have a laugh, but generally support the team massively. And they're seen as a very positive group of English sports fans because they self-police, they do a lot of work for charity, and they basically try and behave themselves and act in a positive light. So why do they need an MD? Well, that's because Barmy Tours has grown up over recent years and they organise the tours that take this group of fans to New Zealand, Sri Lanka, Australia, the West Indies. They're a travel business and they're a sports business. So how have they been affected by COVID? And how have they kept that positive ethos around English sports supporters travelling abroad? It's been a major issue in the past. Of course, I got my own cricket book out at the moment called Last Wicket Stand, discussing county cricket. And midlife, um, big Essex fan. Followed them all around the county championship season in 2019. Do check that out, both on my website or on Amazon. My website, of course, Mr. Richard Clark. And you can follow me at Mr. Richard Clark on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and TikTok and Snapchat and all of them, to be honest. And sports content strategy is also out there on the major platforms too. Anyway, without further ado let's talk about the Barmy Army, they're fantastic songs by the way, and lots of other good work with this man.
1: I'm Chris Millard, I'm the managing director for Barmy Army which is the England supporters club that follow the England cricket team all around the world and and sing songs from the stands but have a lot of work in the background with travel and membership and organisational stuff to to do that, and that's my job to make sure that these tours happen with such great support all over the world.
0: So what we're discussing here is a fans group that has turned into a business, basically. But let's go back to the start. Because it originally it was Atherton's Barmy Army and it was what ninety-four, ninety-five in in Australia. Correct. That's where it started. You printed a hundred t-shirts and you eventually had to sell three thousand because it grew. So Tell us the origin story of the Barney Army.
1: Yeah, absolutely. The co-founders, Paul Burnham, and Gareth Evans and David Peacock, were out backpacking in Australia. And they were there for the, for the cricket. And sadly, the England team at the time wasn't the best in the late 90s, as it's well documented for English Test cricket. And the English team were getting hammered in Adelaide. And they were all on the bank, singing all the songs, out in the sun, out in the sun all day, without any sun cream. Drinking beer and and still supporting the team, and people couldn't fathom why these crazy English people had travelled all the way around the world to watch their team losing, stand getting sunburnt, and not drink any water. And um, the Australian press decided to brand them the Barmy Army because they were barmy for what I've just said, and Army because there were so many of them. So very smartly, uh, our co-founders went and trademarked the name in Australia and the UK. Went and printed up some t-shirts 100 like you said to begin with and then by the by the end of that test match they had to go and get 3,000 done for the next test match so it's a really nice organic story of, of three guys that that had an idea that was singing songs very much with a football style support and taking the football away style support to cricket but never really overstepping the mark and they were quite keen to lay down the the cricketing landscape and the rules to make sure that it didn't overstep and it didn't just become a football crowd away from home wherever the England team play. But it is is—it is an extract from football, the name's from football, and and it was brought to cricket. And it, and it's a unique beast that's now grown into um, a business with, with 12, 12 staff, eight full-time staff and, and half a million followers on social. And we've got 40,000 members as well. So it's over the 25 years, it has formed into a bit of a beast in the um, cricketing, sporting community.
0: We'll talk about the business in a bit. I'm just interested in that origin story because they trademarked the name, but actually the the brand, if you want to talk about it in sports business terms, the brand at that time was a group of very passionate, crazy, in every sense of the word, fans that were kind of almost lovable losers because England were poor at that time. And the whole point was that they were so enthusiastic about a poor team. So it, <laughs> that kind of it's interesting that they they even at that stage they decided to copyright what they had because the brand kind of went against what you would create if you if you thought about it and did it on a piece of paper.
1: Yeah, I think if you thought about cricket fans and put them on a piece of paper, I think Barmy Army would be the furthest from. The known cricket fan of the late nineties of what cricket the style of support cricket was meant to carry it wasn't wasn't meant to be active and energetic and supporting and singing songs that wasn't the norm for cricket, so bringing that name to cricket was was way outside the box and and looking back it's probably why it's become so successful, but it was very much on the back of a good write up in the paper from the australian press and and the the co-founders read it and then they thought wow this this is quite cool and very um entrepreneurial of them to go and get it trademarked and, and make it into the brand what it is today so it's um it's a really unique story that that has a, a tale of of three guys on a trip that that have grown this this beast really
0: i think the other thing that was very strong if you're talking about brand and it's a I'm not sure it's a word you should should apply but it's 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 yeah it's, uh, it's the right word in modern sports business parlance, shall we say that? Uh, the other thing with, with, the, with the brand of the Barmy Bar- Army that, that has always been there and I think marks them out is the positivity, the culture of positivity. Uh, They've collected for charity, whereas, you know, it comes, you made the point, it came out of football, it has a football um, uh, enthusiasm, but doesn't have the edge. The nastiness that football does, and there's an element of self-policing that has kept that positive brand. So, can you just tell us, has that been something that that has been deliberately done, um, and and how have you kept it as positive as as you as you have? Because it's, I would think, over twenty five years, that's a hard thing to do because. You're there for a long yeah. time, you're at a sporting contest. It's It can be aggressive at times when there's alcohol involved and that can be a recipe for disaster, right?
1: Exactly. I think the first thing to say is it's been incredibly hard for them to keep that brand in cricket as, as clean as they have and it's absolutely testament to, to Paul who, who ran the company before I was involved and, and made sure that there was a code of conduct, there was ethics that if you sign up to be a member you have to abide by and that never does cross the line. He always talked spoke about being active and not passive, but also knowing how to support in cricket and really understanding what's right and what's wrong. And you just touched on the self-policing. That's something that has organically grown within the organization because people are so proud of being a Barmy Army member and supporting for the Barmy Army on tour. They they are keen to self-police and make sure that it never oversteps the mark. And of course, over the years there's been times where There has been something that's gone wrong and there's been something in the papers and there's always an air of, oh, if the England cricket team are on tour and the England fans have done something, well, it must be the Barmy Army. Well, it must be the Barmy Army because they're the guys that are drinking and singing all day in the stands. But that's just, that's not true. And it's sometimes tarnished with a bad brush. But on the flip side to that, we do get the positivity of saying, oh, the Barmy Army have brought 10,000 people here today when, I think we all know that there will be a lot of Barmy Army people there, but a lot of them will just be England cricket fans as well. So it comes with double-edged sword, really, but a good sign of, of what Paul did over the years is introduced Hoggy's Rules, as I said, which is a unique code of conduct that is aligned to cricket, but is aligned to um, no swearing, no being aggressive to other people. And, and naturally, things happen, don't they? It's, it's, it's life. You're on tour. You're in a different country. Things are going to happen. So that's why the self-policing comes in and, and maybe the older guard sometimes put an arm around the younger guard when they're getting a bit giddy and a bit over the top and say, look, you've got to learn, you've got to know what's right and what's wrong and, and here's the line. So there's always been that that air of trying to find the right balance between becoming too corporate and too straight down the line and keeping the the mentality and the fun that the Barmy Army gives to the game. So we're always we're always trying to fight with that and most recently on a tour to Sri Lanka, there was a streaker that ran on the pitch. Absolutely no association to the Barmy Army whatsoever. Um, but as soon as we get it, the, the journalists are calling me and there's people calling me saying, who was that? Do you know who it was? What's happened to him? Because it's, it's highly offensive in Sri Lanka for a man to get naked and to run on a pitch. And it was really against the Sri Lanka community. took real offence to that. So the, the good work that we did is we were very quick to say, this is an isolated incident. It's not a member of the Army, but it was an English fan. You've got to take responsibility for yourself. And we got the message out to England fans that it's really not okay to streak. It's not okay to streak anywhere, but in Sri Lanka, in, in that part of the world, it was really offensive to do so. And we made sure that the message was a, was around the England fans within seconds. So that's the positive nature of good that's come from bad over the years. But there are many instances where a brand like the Barmy Army and the name the Barmy Army could have been taken the wrong way. And the co-founders and the people that have self-policed over the years have made sure they've steered it on that straight line to to where we are today.
0: Interesting. I'm going to come back to local differences in a little bit. I just want to talk about the culture of the Barmy Army and in particular the music, because you know where the Barmy Army are because they're singing constantly. (laughs) And The Trumpeter. Now, The Trumpeter is has retired in the last couple of years, I think I'm right in saying.
1: Yeah, on the South Africa tour, the most recent one. he right. He's retired. But um, he he was incredible over the years. He, he came involved in 2004, two, 2003, 2004, in Barbados. Um, and Paul, the, the, the old uh, director and also the co-founder, he brought him in and got him playing the trumpet and making sure that he was... Um, part of the England fan culture at the time and learnt all the songs and that became, he became the focal point along with Vic Flowers who was the the flag waver with the big hat that people will remember if you've been to an England Test cricket game between 2004 and 2015 and they became really the heartbeat of the Barmy Army and where the music all started from there always has been the songs since 94 and a lot of them have been very much chanty and then the trumpeter came, and it brought a musical edge to it, and more of a uh, a different feel to cricket support. And I think that really did help us diversify a little bit away from the football mentality and become more of a serious organisation with the general public. But Bill was incredible at knowing when to play, when not to play, what songs to play for certain situations. He was a, a West. He is a West End trumpeter. He does Matilda at the minute, and he, he was he playing for the. Um, plays at the proms, he, he does everything that you'd want a Barmy Army trumpeter to do. He's He's gone to play for the Queen and then flown out to the West Indies before. So there's some really fun stories about Bill, about how he was, has played in Adikybo in front of the Royal Family and then he's on the terraces with us a week later in the West Indies. So it was really great experience having Bill as part of the Barmy Army, but it, it won't be the last trumpeter here for us. We've got a lot of trumpeters knocking at the door, as you can imagine. <laughs> a lot of musicians' CVs were on my desk within probably a week of Bill saying that he'd retired. So, um, so you're doing
0: auditions, nice. right? You're going to be doing <laughs> auditions for a new trumpeter.
1: Well, we actually, yeah, we actually did launch Barmy's Got Talent. It was, it was just a <laughs> nice fit, wasn't it? So that, that was a natural next step. Barmy's Got Talent and, and we've got a few people that are, um, that are signed up to our musical database, if you like. We've got the latest guy, Finchy who was meant to come to Sri Lanka before the tour got cancelled for his debut. And he's actually been doing live streams before all the all the days at the test matches and jumping on when there's a moment and playing it on our Facebook page. So we're, we're trying.
0: How much of what happens in terms of flags and songs and that sort of in-game entertainment that you are providing for the event, but also for yourself, how much is that choreographed or is it organic?
1: Is I would say ninety nine point nine percent is organic, and that is very much. Um, Over the years, people have got to know each other. A lot of people that you see on tours, you see on most tours. There is a really nice, unique culture that people do devote their life and their holidays to supporting England away from home and the cricket. And they become quite a good group of mates and a good culture. And it's a big group of 100 to 200 diehard fans that come on most of the tours and, and our mates. And they're so used to standing there and singing songs. And it will just grow like that. And someone can come up with a song, someone might think, oh, I've got this, I want the Barmy Arms to hear it. Come and stand in the group and sing the song and you'll get support no matter what because people love people having a go. It's all about having a go and enjoying yourself. There's no right or wrong. There's no, we're the best songwriters in the world. There's There's none of that. And I think sometimes people do think there's a hierarchy, which I really don't like. It's all about people supporting the England cricket team. That's what we do. That's what we're there for. And if you think you've got a way of doing that with a song or with a chant, then then get involved. We want as many people to support the England team as possible, which I thought was apparent on the um, recent South Africa tour in Cape Town where we we really did become the 12th man to get the the win on the final day at 5pm when uh, Ben Stokes took the three wickets. That was a really iconic moment for me after such a big year in the UK to have that year, that that test match on tour in Cape Town where there were so many people in the, in the Barmy Army section Five six thousand England fans all singing the same songs all behind the team and then you hear the players after saying how moving that was and how organic how it grew with the game and how much it meant to the game and that they've all said if it was now we wouldn't have won the game if it was behind closed doors we would not have won that game so it does just show that the support is is so valuable to the England team as well
0: so let's talk about the the business that's grown up um, yeah. it's it's around running these tours on a professional Basis and becoming a well, well, you you define it. It seems there's a Barmy Army Club, and and then there's a tour business that's grown out of it. But but you define it for me.
1: Sure. So the 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 supporters club is what has organically grown. What we spoke about behind that support is a backbone organisation that is a a travel and membership organisation primarily. So we we take organised tour groups away with us, and we have been doing for a long time now. So people can pay and have a unique experience with the Barmy Army where they, where they get a, a, a travel manager, they go on the tour, they go and sit in the stand, and they watch the sport with the Barmy Army for the full series for as long as, as long as they like, as long as the tour can last if they want. And we have a really good culture of group of people that do do those tours, but we also have the independents that form part of the Barmy Army as well. So anyone's welcome. You don't have to be on an official travel program. You don't have to travel with us. Um, all we ask is that you either sign up to be a member or you're part of the organisation when you have enjoyed it so we can keep providing, the hopefully, the good work we do for the supporters overseas and in the UK. And then the membership organisation is, is very much what we um, operate under in the UK. We've got just over 4,000 paying members now, which is it's £30 a year, and they get access to tickets in the UK. That's the biggest benefit they get, all, the, all tickets except for Lords. In the, in the UK is what we can offer to the members along with a, a whole bunch of other benefits with discounts and we try and incentivize them in other ways by doing events, playing unique cricket games against other cricket teams in the UK and overseas and it's all about feeling part of that culture and that, that movement of people that support the England cricket team, that are diehard fans of the England cricket team and 4,000 people just show you there is definitely an appetite for that. Um, in addition to that, we've got a, a backbone that is our merchandise, our media, our marketing, which is a lot of what we do on social media and a lot of the content that we, we put out. We try and, we try and create a, a really nice balance between updates and stats and understanding what the, the players are up to and, and a bit of inside scope from the camp, but also keeping it fun. And If we can have a little sly dig at someone, an opposition player, thats that that it is always for never overstepping the mark and we will do that because that that's what people really enjoy seeing from us that the the english humor is what we try and pride ourselves on so we've always balanced our strategy with humor and um, official stats and updates and making sure people get the information that they need to take in as well so that's another another aspect of the business and then finally, I did touch on it, but the merchandise, what people see us in the stands overseas, we sell an awful lot of merchandise and we we are very popular when people want a gift to take back to their family or their friends or they want a memento from the tours. We do quite quirky tour designs where people can see on the back of the shirts what tour you've been on and they've become a little bit of a collector's item over the years. It's almost who's got the oldest shirt, who's the who's the coolest fan that's been on all the tours, it's it's one of them. So it's a, an interesting culture that's been created through many different aspects and and a business that's grown from it, really.
0: And you get preferential treatment. Well, well, I'm not sure if it is preferential treatment, but you get treated as a business. Your fans can sit together in pretty much any ground around the world, apart from Lords. There's always exception for Lords, <laughs> isn't it? Because it's <laughs> uh, We all know that as cricket fans. The Lords is always the exception <laughs> in everything. Um, but you... Is that because you're the Barmy Army or is it because you're a huge block buyer of tickets that you get to sit together and create that culture? Because it kind of wouldn't work if you were disparate.
1: Exactly right. And it won't, it won't surprise you to think that Cricket Australia have tried to um, split us up over the years and break us oh, up really? so we don't create okay. the atmosphere that we have done before. But no, I, th- I think it's, it's twofold really. We have received the tickets to begin with because we were probably a bulk buyer of tickets. And we have a relationship with all the county grounds and all the grounds around the world and governing bodies. And that, that has grown into the Barmy Army and, and the beast that it now is. Um, I think we, we do a, a great favour to the grounds when the tests aren't as busy as, say, an Ashes Test match, when England are playing New Zealand at Headingley and they need to get rid of 500 tickets. They know that we can get rid of them for them and we can make sure that they've got a good atmosphere as well. So I think everywhere but Lords, like you said... The MCC and cricket don't really have the same ethos as the Barmy Army when it comes to supporting. Um, We're less champagne, corkscrew popping. We're more um, pints in the stands singing along. But um, there's nothing wrong with either styles of support. I think you've got to love the MCC if you're an English cricket fan for what they've done for the game. And um, Lords is such a special place. We were actually there for the World Cup final and the World Cup games because the ICC gave us a a group of tickets because they wanted to the Barmy army atmosphere, which was very special to be at the home of cricket for our only our second time. The Barmy army have been there for England to win and seeing the players celebrate with us at the end just showed you what I think the Barmy army means to the players as well. So that was a really special day. Um, but we, we we're very we very much are at one with Lords that we know what they do, they know what we do, and we we leave each other to it if you like. But all, all the other the group grounds and groups around the world, we hope that they get the same access as we do because we try to think we've started the supporters groups for cricket around the world. And a lot of people have followed, a lot of people come to us for advice and we always try and help them get allocations and grow grow the game because we think, um, while the support is is dwindling for Test cricket throughout the world. We've got a solution to making it more accessible for everyone and more fun for everyone. So we want to keep growing the game and we want to make sure that People are watching test cricket in 50 years' time. So I think that's the worry from everyone within the game. We, we know one day cricket will survive. We know 2020 cricket will will grow and grow and grow. But test cricket is the fear. And I think anything that we can do in our unique way, we will do just that to make sure it survives.
0: And I'm sure you'd argue you're part of the atmosphere. You're part of the spectacular. So therefore, there is a, a positive reason to accommodate you. are not... From a uh, cricket Australia's perspective, is presumably uh, to take the wind out of the sails of the team to a certain extent. But the but you're creating atmosphere, and sporting events need atmosphere. So that's be that will be your argument. You are you're part of the occasion because of the weight you've got behind yourself.
1: Exactly right. We're we're part of the occasion, and we're part of the economics of the game as well. I, I think when. There's there's two things that make us really appealing for overseas tour group uh, for overseas destinations. Um, one is that we are the only country that that travel with a massive following for Test cricket, and you're there a long time. You're there an awful long time, from six to seven weeks in Australia to a month in the West Indies. And if you think we're bringing ten thousand people for a month in the West Indies, their economy is going to go through the roof because they've got a lot of people on holiday that they probably wouldn't normally have then. And that's why we we feel that the English Test cricket will survive, is because of the support that we can, we can give and we can carry with us. And the game is only going to grow um, as long as it's supported financially. So, while ever the Balmy Army is alive and doing what it's doing, we think, Test cricket will, will be OK and it, it won't dwindle the way people are suggesting it will as long as they get the scheduling right and make sure that fans can be at the game as well. So it's really interesting because the game is supported by all the governing bodies, but we know who the big players are India, Australia and England. And we need to make sure we're also supporting the other destinations to make sure that they're still there in, in 20, 30 years, which is, which is a worry for everyone within the game, if you're sure you'd probably agree.
0: Yeah, England, though Pakistan and the West Indies are tour, as far as I'm concerned. After this summer, um, anyway. Moving on. I mean, so you made a business out of the barmy army. I, 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 I love the barmy army. Um, I love the atmosphere they create. And for me, you are part of the show because you're making that spectacular. There is a flip side to that. I mean, I'm looking at a blog here, A blog piece here, you know, written uh-huh. in the garden. You know, crass and corporate. Why the barmy army are no laughing matter. That is the flip side of what you've done, isn't it? The People Correct. will say it's against the spirit of the game. It's too corporate. The same thing is happening with football fan channels now. Fans mm-hmm. have created football fan channels on YouTube, blah, blah, blah. And it's got to the stage where there's an anti-movement growing, partly because they're corporate. As soon as you start making money out of a fans group, you're moving right. into this territory. So, you know, how do you respond to those? Well, we talked about how you responded to a lot of those arguments. But I suppose what's your attitude to them? And where do you feel the weaknesses in what they're saying uh, are apparent?
1: It's a great question, and it's something that I think we've always been posed with. And whilst the Barmy Army is very much about the fans and about what work we do supporting England on tour in the UK and everywhere we go, I think there also is a there has to be. Um, Financed. Anything has to be financed, and the way we've done it is is a different way to maybe some organisations would have gone about it. But it always has been a business ever since they trademarked the name back in 1994, and and they've been haggling with people over the years that are saying it should be should be all about the people and everything. And, and a simple argument is we would not have been able to do what we've done for the game and for cricket if it was because it. It doesn't. The, the world doesn't spin round without um, without finance, and, and the way the Barmy Army has grown has been um, because it's been successful. And while ever a business is successful, no matter what you're doing and, and no matter how you're doing it, we try and deliver the best products for the for the for the members and for the fans and for the people that come on the travel tours. So we have to make sure we're always balancing walking the, the tightrope and making sure we're not being too commercial on corporate and making sure we are. All about the people because that's what it is. We're we're all cricket fans and we all do it in the right way. But um, we're not all sitting sitting around driving big cars and living in big houses because we're making loads of money out of it. Because we're making sure that the business is offering the best it can to the England cricket fans. And and while ever we do that, we wouldn't be able to take people on the tours we do. We we, right now we're sitting on potentially no travel for the next twelve to eighteen months and no cricket cricket fans in the stadiums if we did if we weren't a limited company if we weren't didn't have a travel company if we didn't have a membership backbone there wouldn't be no Barmy Army because we wouldn't be able to keep going and keep operating of of a level where people would still know what the Barmy Army are because we wouldn't be able to pay for the protection football clubs could trademark it copyright it nick it nick the brand and do something with it so that there is a balancing act I'm aware of that but I'm also aware that while ever the membership's growing and the popularity is growing on social media and the people that are traveling, I think that the, the anti army Army people that is maybe also growing a little bit as well because we are getting more commercial, um, it comes hand in hand with it, doesn't it? So um, I'm I'm fine and I'm always open to, to chatting to these people as well. I've, I've had conversations with people that don't agree with the way we're trying to take the business before and I've hoped that by the end of while they might not agree with me at the end of it, they might understand why.
0: You talked about COVID, the pandemic. Obviously, you're a travel business. Yeah. Travel's been severely affected. I was going to say decimated, but it's been severely affected.
1: <laughs> Nearly uh, decimated.
0: Well, I'll go for decimated then, but that's, a, that's reduced <laughs> by a factor of 10, my, my sub-editors used to tell me when I worked at the time. I have to be specific <laughs> about these things. But it's certainly severely affected, and we're hearing about airlines cutting jobs, for example, where you're, you're be an airline based business you're a travel company uh, at, at your core where do you stand on this i mean what's been your uh, approach w- when do you think you'll be able to be back to something near normality what contingency measures have you put in must be a very difficult time
1: yeah it really it really is a difficult time i think but we we're not alone in this are we it's a difficult time for everyone the fact that we every aspect of our business is severely affected so travel um, we we travel and we we have members that like to go and watch live sports so um, I think while while the pennies are tight you can understand that the Barmy Army isn't the first thing on people's list to pay for every year and making sure that they're subscribed and making sure that they're um, buying our products and stuff so we're trying our best to we we have buckled down the hatches and we've made sure that we're financially secure for the next 18 months. And we've made sure that we've done the right planning, the right forecasting and the right, the right things you have to do on the business side of it with the government grants and the government loans to make sure that we're here next year and the year after and the year after that. So the day that we found out that the Sri Lanka tour was gonna to be canceled was I think about three days before we went into lockdown in the UK. And we had just over 300 people booked on a flight on the Sunday and we went into lockdown on the Monday the tour was cancelled on the Friday and so between the Friday and the Sunday we had to get in touch with everyone that was traveling to, Sh- to Sri Lanka and make sure that they were aware that the tour has being cancelled and therefore we would have to cancel their trips we couldn't risk taking them out there and knowing what's happening in the UK so we, we dealt with that and we we had everyone refunded straight away we made sure that our travel company looked after our clients as best as they could in the circumstances. And, and they were really grateful for the way we did that. But we also extended our arm to independent fans that were already over there and already in Sri Lanka waiting for the tour. And we had a lot of people over there that were stranded because flights had stopped. And a lot of holidaymakers that had gone for the cricket were already in Sri Lanka. So we were in dialogue with the, with the the with the Sri Lankan government and with the with the, with the people out there at Sri Lanka Airlines to try and make sure that people got home safe and repatriation flights were, were spoken about, that luckily that never had to happen. There, there was enough flights with Sri Lanka Airlines and with Emirates and a few of the other airlines that fly to Sri Lanka to get people home. But that wasn't an easy period, I think, for people being out there for the cricket and thinking, who is there to, to speak to over here while we're stranded? And, and we, we tried our best to make sure that we were the, the voice for people if they wanted to speak to people of authority in Sri Lanka. Um, but we were fortunate that, that everyone was home safe and everyone who needed to uh, be, be dealt with got dealt with by the authorities. And I think if you look beyond that, when everyone was back home, they realised the severity of what was going on and realised why we had to deal with it in the way we did and deal with it so quickly. I think as a business, though, you have to look at that thinking it's a Sri Lanka tour with a lot of hodler day makers, which would have been uh, a good income for the company but we were very fortunate that just in the in the Christmas before we were in South Africa which was a huge tour and i touched on it earlier about the support over there we had uh, thousands and thousands of, of members and, and people over there that were associated with the Barmy Army and, and it was a good tour for the business it was very successful and um, we grew the membership we, we sold a lot of merchandise and the travel program went really well so and we, we've been very fortunate with the timing and the cricket calendar that It didn't fall on an ashes and it hasn't fallen on a West Indies or a South Africa tour, which um, in the business sense are absolutely critical to the the whole operation that we that we operate.
0: How does it differ in different countries? Are some easier than others? Uh, You've talked about ones that are slightly more popular. I mean, South Africa was popular because the exchange rate was huge. One of the reasons <laughs> the exchange rate is massively favourable. Always oh, it is. A beautiful country as well. Um, Australia is Australia. Um, but, but um, uh, yeah, so how, how does it differ in different countries? And presumably you're dealing with embassies and getting reports on what's culturally specific. We talked about the, the issue of the streaker in Sri Lanka. So, you know, just tell me about some of the differences
1: um hugely, hugely different from where we go it's from an India tour, which is culturally complete contrast to South Africa, um, which is also a complete contrast to New Zealand, Australia, Sri Lanka. They're all very different for different reasons. So we have a, a quite a, a dynamic team that have been to a lot of the places over the years and a lot of experience and people that are, we've got a few experts extra retired police officers that work for us that are very good at dealing with people and dealing with different cultures so and I think that's really important to understand the the different needs of the cultures about how we will be seen as English people and English fans in that country we might have a a poorer reception in India than we would in Sri Lanka but why is that and people that have the knowledge of the history will, will be able to tell that and it's so important to have that knowledge within your team and within your community so that you can relay that to your members and relay that to people that are maybe out of order, but they don't know they're being out of order. And they don't know that sometimes drinking in the streets, drinking alcohol in the streets of India is massively frowned upon, but it's not frowned upon in Sri Lanka and they can't draw parallels. Why? So we, we have a duty to, to tell people that because we do consult the embassies, we consult with the travel office and we always work with the tourism boards. So we make sure that before we go to any destination, that the embassy has most of the team's numbers and the, the tourism boards, the travel boards, we're working with them months in advance to make sure the right messaging is going out to the people that are traveling there. An example of that is we had two people that were that were stranded in in the West Indies and they went to the embassy because they needed a passport. Um, and it was in Antigua actually, because they missed their flight home. And so we were able to consult with people in their network that were able to sort the flight out, sort the passports out and and we were the first people that they called so um, I think what's hopefully becoming apparent to the listeners is we're far more than the guys you see in the stands singing the songs, there is a a structure and an organisation that is trying to make it uh, a real reason to, to travel and be a part of the Barmy Army and be a part of what we try and provide there is way more than just singing in the stands here's a song sheet go and grab a beer go and buy some merchandise it isn't just that and we don't focus on that we've grown into more than that and we're trying to be the best the best we can be for the England cricket team by supporting the fans and making sure that everyone is having a good time but making sure everyone's safe as well.
0: Are there events in the evening? Is there stuff around it? You, you, you're obviously, you're flying them there, you're taking them to the hotels, you're taking them to the game, creating a culture around that. But you, you, are there excursions during the day? Are you a proper travel company all around it as well? Obviously, the cricket is the focus.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned charities earlier that we've raised over half a million pounds for charity over the 25 years of our existence. And it's a big thing for the Barmy Army is to make sure that we raise charity money whenever, wherever we are in the world, and we'll always raise it for a local charity. So if if we're in uh, a good example, again, I'll, I'll use Sri Lanka. Um, we, we've actually got a village in Sri Lanka that's called the Barmy Army Village because we raised enough money on that tour to rebuild a village that was taken out by the tsunami. And that was done with a charity called Their Future Today, which is one that we work, work a lot with when we're in Sri Lanka because they are so good at making sure the money gets to the hands of the people that need it and we can always follow the trail of money and it's really nice to relay the message to the members of thank you for buying Joe Root signed shirt and the auction that's actually built a house for this family and that's how we try and make sure that you cut through a bit of the tape because we're on the tour in the places and we are we're there and we're spending a lot of money and people want to have fun and we put on a charity night that might consist of a live band, a Q&A with a commentator that's on the tour or the 12th Man of the England team that's on the tour and an auction and a raffle. And we, we do it at one of these nights in every country that we go to, every city that we play in. So an Ashes tour, we will do at least five charity nights at each test match on, on day three normally. And we'll have a sing-song, a QA, and a live auction and raise as much money as we can for a charity. We've supported um, all the major charities within crickets so and the McGrath Foundation, more recently, the Ruth Strauss Foundation. We try and make sure that we are supporting um, charities that are in the game that that we are part of, but also charities that are impacted wherever we are in the world. So I mentioned the tsunami in Sri Lanka. We did the earthquake in New Zealand. And we, we are always very good at realising what's happening in the in that part of the world at that time and trying to support where we can because if, if we can we want to support and again I'll go back to South Africa when the Australian bushfires were happening obviously Australia is a place that we, um, we're not a big fan of their cricket team but we absolutely love the country and I think anyone in the Barmy Army is a huge fan of Australia as a place and what it's given to English cricket and the rivalry and the the game the ashes is, is everything to the Barmy Army and to most England cricket fans so the Australian bushfires were happening and it did it did cut through to some of the people that were on the tour, um, myself included. I thought it was absolutely awful what was happening to the absolute devastation that was happening. And we, we um, were in the ground at Cape Town at lunchtime and I spoke to the head of comms within the stadium and said, can you get a message out that all the Barmy Army staff are going to be coming around doing collections for the rest of the day for the bushfire appeal? So we did that and we, we raised... Over 35,000 Rand in the afternoon just for the bushfire appeal to support the charities that have been affected by that. So, that's a, a little sign of the charity work we do, but also a sign of what the events we do. And, and we do other events as a business as well. So, we have a travel company and we will run excursions when there isn't cricket. We'll run a safari if we're in South Africa, or we might run a wine tasting when we're in Australia. And we, we try and make sure um, everyone has something to do all the time. And normally, if we can, make sure there's a cricketer there to entertain them as well, because that's the reason they're there. We'll try and make that happen.
0: If you're getting the 12th man at events, it's just another indication that the relationship between the Barmy Army and the team is is, is close, very close.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's probably the, one of the most unique things about the Barmy Army and about what has been created. The England cricket team absolutely appreciate what we have done for the game, but also... The, the unconditional love that they get from the Barmy Army and that they get from the people who are there on all the tours singing all the songs. The fact that, yes, we're there in Australia singing all the songs and being the Barmy Army that everyone perceives us to be, but also we're in Bangladesh when there's no other fans there and there's a core group of 50 Barmy Army people that are having to stay in the same hotels and they're they're drinking with the players and celebrating their success at the end of the tours because they're so thankful that the Barmy Army were there and it's so unique to England fans and, and what the Barmy Army has created that the fans are there throughout thick and thin and the players really recognise that and it's been so nice to see how they've come out and support especially through this period I think they realise that there are no cricket fans in and maybe they realise how how big it is when the English fans are in the stands and especially when we're singing our songs and we we make a difference and I know that the current team have spoken in the press about um, how different it is to not have the fans there because they've not played a lot of county cricket, a lot of the Test players. They're always playing Test cricket and whenever they're playing Test cricket, the Barmy Army and the England fans are there singing a song so they're not used to playing in empty stadiums like sadly a lot of, of county cricketers are at the minute. So um, I think it's been a bit of a shock to the system to the likes of Ben Stokes and Joe Root and Joss Butler seeing the empty stands. I, th-
0: I think what's apparent, I mean... It- there's a lot of talk about the 12th man, and uh, you know, sometimes it's true, sometimes it isn't. What, what's interesting about cricket, because that concept of the 12th man applies across all sports, the difference about cricket is because it's such a long game, 11-6 yeah. every day, and every team will have lulls. And what I've seen, particularly with Joe Root, might have happened before, is then deliberately rousing up the crowd to get the team going because you are inevitably in the hot sun for that period of time you're going to have slack periods low periods and we all know a wicket or two changes absolutely everything (laughs) and it makes a difference if if someone's bowling with um with the crowd behind them so the the crowd and particularly the barmy army seems to be being used as a tool
1: exactly and I think it has been for a long time, but I think the fact that Joe really does see it and he can notice how the game's going and if they need a lift, he will absolutely turn to the bar the Army and look for a lift and look for that, that little edge. And, and we try and do our best to, to pick and choose the opportunity to do that and support them when we need to because there are laws in cricket. It's such a long game, like you said, and it is about understanding the game because there's no way that anyone can go to test cricket for five days and sing from ball one to the last ball, it it would be physically impossible. I know Matthew Hoggard was speaking to us during the tour because they're there before play on day one and they're there at the end of day five, but they're still there and they're still supporting the team no matter what. And that's all because they are real cricket fans, absolute cricket anoraks that love the game and know when the game's turning, when the game's changing, when they might need a lift and when they might need a push. And I think that's happened through throughout years and years of the Barmy Army, but more so this generation because um, you get the little buzz off Joe Root looking to you and, and giving you the, the G up that he needs some support. And that happened most recently in South Africa. And as, as I've mentioned a couple of times, the rest is history because it's such a, a such a proud moment for me seeing how 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 good of a community that it was in the stands and how there was no hierarchy. It was all about the England team. It wasn't about what was going on in the stands. It was all about the support and the players really did feed off that and the celebrations at the end and they were so thankful that we were there. And when Ben Stokes did pick up that wicket after tea and and then they, they ran through the rest of the side and it was absolutely incredible. And, and that was all because... Joe Root and the rest of the team were looking for that edge, and I think the Barmy Army gave it them.
0: And you've got some good news with a particular player, I gather. Uh, Joe Root um, is being endorsed by the Barmy Army in a big way. So, so just tell us about that.
1: Yeah, Joe got in touch with us in the, over the past um, couple of weeks before the Australia ODIs, and, and he wanted to give a little bit back to the fans and as a bit of a thank you to. To say that while ever we're not in the stands at the minute, he's still thinking about us the England team is still can't wait to hear us in the future in the stands, and they've missed us this summer, so he's actually going to be ha- using our sticker on the back of his bat for this series against Australia in the rest of the season. I think it's a really nice gesture from the England captain to to do something like that and take the the commercial aspect out of it for him and removing the the sponsor he, he used to have on there to have the fans on the back of his bat is a really, really nice touch. And I think um, hopefully it resonates with the people that are part of the Barmy Army, a part of the England cricket fan community and and can see why Joe's done that and why he wants to support us in such a huge way. And I can't wait for for Rooty to walk out to bat against the Aussies and for Steve Smith and David Warner to be stood at first slip and seeing the Barmy Army on the back of his bat, the people that are always singing the songs against him and and thinking that he's united with us, I think he will look forward to that as well. Raising the bat against the Aussies with the Barmy Army on the back of it—how how wonderful that is from a, a fans group that started 25 years ago on the, on the um, terraces.
0: So just to be clear, I mean he could he could sell that piece of real estate, shall yep. we say, but he's given it to you. So it's a, it's a it's a freebie, right? He's he's uh, in financial terms, he's left money on the table there.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely right. Yeah, he's very, very much um, left money on the table, if you like. He's a big fan of the Barmy Army and he's a, he's a personal friend. And he got in touch and he just said, I want to give back to the Barmy Army. I want to make sure that you guys are recognised this summer in some way. So I'm not going to have any sponsors on the bat. I want you guys to be on the back of it. Um, and he obviously wouldn't take any money off it for us and I don't think we could afford it to be completely honest with you Richard um, but, but yeah he, that's what he's done for us and, and it's really nice to see but we do actually sponsor his brother Billy Root he's, um, he is our ambassador he's playing in Glamorgan so we wanted to support the Root brother because that's where we were at as a business but he's, um, he's scoring a few runs in the county game which is nice to see
0: what do you think about the versions that have cropped up in other countries? There's Australia, the fanatics, and there's an Indian version as well that have grown up. And they're almost a response to the Barney army. Um, a, do you see it that way? And what do you think about them?
1: I think it's absolutely fantastic. We've, we've helped the Barrett army set up over their 20 years of existence. Paul Burnham, the co-founder who I've spoke about, was around in their existence and he did help set the Barat army up. So the Indy fans had a version of the Barmy army and that was all part of the, uh, the early stages of the Barat army. And the, the fanatics was the same. Warren who set up the fanatics did come to Poland and he asked for help setting it up and making sure that he could get some form of, of supporters to challenge the Barmy army and to rival the Barmy army on the Ash. And that's what we want. We want to go to places where there's an atmosphere from the opposition fans. The Beige Brigade in New Zealand, there are, um, there are fan groups in, in all countries, but some of them less recognised. But I think it's great that the Barmy Army has almost set the, set the level and set the line for what people can do if they really want to. And Although it is very uniquely British and very English and unconditional patriotic support for the team, even when they might not be doing the best, Um, That's something that the Barat Army might struggle with because they are very much winners, absolute winners, and they don't like it when the team aren't doing so well. So there are cultural differences, but I think there is room for every country to have a version of the Barmy Army within their ranks. I've actually recently set up, uh, about to launch an organisation called the International Cricket Supporters Committee, which is everyone from all around the world if if they haven't got a supporters organisation, we're asking their governing body to sit on the committee so that they can understand how supporters committees are set up, why they're set up, what the big problems are and what needs to change in the game to make it more accessible for supporters all over the world. So I'm hopeful that that will be recognised by the ICC and we will be able to communicate on a a level with the ICC and with all the governing bodies to give these fans a voice. We've got the Stani army um, in... In in England, a Pakistan-based fan group that are massively proud of their heritage and want to be part of the committee. We've got the Barrett Army, the Richies now in Australia, the Beige Brigade. You've got a really unique set of fans for different reasons all over that can be part of this one committee that I think will help change the face of the game for supporters in years to come. So that's my hope and that's the legacy of the Barmy Army giving back to, to the world cricket and World cricket supporters were trying to help grow the game and help grow support globally.
0: It's interesting because I would argue that fans haven't had a voice in cricket, and we know what happened a few years ago. We all saw the death of a gentleman, and the fact that the power within the Test nations was skewed towards three big ones, basically, yeah. at the detriment of Pakistan and the West Indies in particular. Um, do you see the fans having the, the, the uh, enfranchisement that you're trying to get for fans? Do you think that might be a device to spread strength across the whole of the sport? Because as you say, as we've talked about, it's becoming skewed and the big, powerful nations are being able to dictate. And for the long-term competitiveness of, in, of the sport around the world, that can't be a good thing.
1: Absolutely, you're so right. And I think we, we, we've set this um, organisation up. I've done it with um, the Cricket Supporters Association, which are based in the UK. And we, we've set this up for that exact reason, to try and give fans a united voice that will be stronger than any individual voice because we have all the cricket in global countries, including the West Indies, including Pakistan, including the Netherlands, including Ireland, Afghanistan. We're trying to give it a, a whole supporters' global voice to everyone who does support cricket and and watches it globally. And I think that really needs to happen. We saw a World Cup in the UK that was hugely successful, but the ticketing allocation and the ticketing system was pretty close to being a a bit of a joke, to be honest, when tickets are going at 25000 for a World Cup final and just pricing out um, the fans of the game. It was really, really sad to see. Um, And and we have launched this on the back of secondary ticketing in a response to cricket secondary ticketing and how issues need to be tackled to make it accessible to grow the game and make sure that fans are here in years to come at any level of cricket and that it isn't priced out and it doesn't become a corporate beast whenever it comes to a major competition and Viagogo companies like Viagogo have absolute rule of thumb when they they controlled the whole ticket in operation for the World Cup in the UK which was really sad to see.
0: You mentioned the Netherlands there and I know you're going there uh, next year or hopefully. Hopes, hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, covid allowed. And I've done a podcast before with um, uh, Daniel Weston, the European Cricket League, and he told me that Germany's the cricket is the fastest growing sport there and Germany is the fastest growing place for cricket. So do you see the growth of european cricket but also there's south american cricket do you do you see um maybe not england going there because they're not test nations but do you see barmy army potentially going on i don't know a tours under 19 tours to places like argentina and different places around the world
1: absolutely yeah we, we've we get emails off all places and cricket brazil have been in touch recently wanting to do something with us and we we, um, we want him to speak to the European Cricket League, actually, about potentially entering a Barmy Army team or the Barmy I'll Army you, forming. I'll,
0: I'll put you in, t- in touch with Daniel then. I'll put you in Fabulous.
1: Time. There we go. There we go. You could see us next year in the league. Well,
0: I did a podcast before it had even launched. And wow. Daniel, Um, I mean, obviously, there's the Pavel Florin yeah. explosion Superstar. to talk about a cult <laughs> character that is. But I, I spoke to him before that even, even launched. And... What Daniel has done, I mean, I, I'm not going to say that cricket is the best standard in the world, but it is great for taking the game to people. The other thing is he's done a superb job in getting that visible because it's everywhere. Yeah. He's done a
1: superb Yeah, it is.
0: But anyway, I interrupted you. You were talking about Cricket Brazil, Cricket Argentina. Where, where are you going to go?
1: Sure, yeah. We, like I said, we want to help with, um, with what we've got, which is a, a big organisation in the UK in cricket that is, has a fairly powerful voice. We want to help Use that to make it uh, more popular in all the places we go in the world. We we would love to go on tours to um, every part of the country that plays cricket. Obviously, allowing circumstances, allowing with with world health and travel restrictions. But we have been on tour to Bolivia before. I know that happened um, a little bit before my time. But the Barmy Army, a group of the Barmy Army, went on there to to play a game over there, and that's a great other aspect of what we do. We do have army team that is all about uh, fun and about playing but we do tour all over the world and play against some maybe emerging nations so you might see us one day playing against cricket argentina and cricket brazil and now you're playing in the in the european cricket league at some point so we might be um, we might be over there playing against these sides and helping get the message out about how powerful um, the organization's could be in years to come. I think cricket is a growing game. And while you've got the powerful countries like India and Australia and promoting the T20 game, I think other countries will see that. And emerging nations like Germany will be powerful in years to come because they've got such a big expat community that plays cricket and that is really passionate about cricket and wanting to make sure the game happens in their country to some level. They will be playing that in years to come. And that's one of the most exciting things about cricket and where it's heading.
0: Final question, and very serious, important question. He bowls to the left, he bowls to the <laughs> right. That Mitchell Johnson, his bowling is shite. That's my favourite Balmy Army song. What's well, right?
1: well, just on that song, I know I did mention earlier in the podcast, don't people want people to think I'm a hypocrite. I did say we don't swear in the songs.
0: Yes, I did pop up in my mind, actually, but go on.
1: <laughs> That's That song originally was wrote... He bowls to the left, he bowls to the right. That Mitchell Johnson, his bowling's not right. And I I, I think as the song has grown and grown and grown, and it it became so big, I don't think they could control it. And again, oh, we're going to have to roll with it. Although whenever you're saying something about the song, I will correct people because we are very, we do try our best to make sure that there isn't swearing in any songs, but sometimes the powerful force that is the fans um, takes it beyond our realms of control. Uh, my my favorite song, personally, um, over the years, would have to be again. I wasn't in the Barmy Army at the time, but Simon Jones's song was was very very good. But more recently, Mark Wood, um, to twist and shout, is really good. And I think the the fact that how much Mark Wood loves his own song and sings it, is is really good. And um, he was actually quoted on a on a press conference after the World Cup saying. Um, all I could imagine was the Barmy Army singing my song in a World Cup final and me taking a wicket, and it was happening. And I says I was running into bowl and I was singing my own song with the Barmy Army and thinking, what am I doing? I'm in a World Cup final, I'm singing my own song going a run up. <laughs> so it's, um, it is really great, and the, the players all love their songs. And I think it goes as far as Joe Root, the England captain. Sometimes you can see him stood at first slip singing along to Jerusalem as Jimmy Anderson's running into bowl while the Barmy Army are singing it. So it's, it's really nice to see these moments of the players embracing the, uh, the great songs that we create.
0: Chris Miller, thank
1: you very much. No problem. Enjoyable. Thanks for having me.
0: You can find Sports Content Strategy on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Go to sportscontentstrategy.com for more information and to sign up to the newsletter. Richard is at Mr. Richard Clark on all social media. Read his blog at mrrichardclark.com.